Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here flying solo tonight. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. No psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. They're both away. They're both out of town. Well, actually, I think Moniz is in town, but I think, I don't know, actually, what's up with Moniz. I know Stephanie's at an event. But that's all right. I'm here with you to talk about the paranormal as I am each and every Saturday night. And a little bit later on in the program, we're going to be joined by a guest. Uh, We'll be talking with Susan Slaughter, who you've seen on television before. We're going to be talking with her about her work in the paranormal world. Uh, We'll talk about some of the experiences she's had on those television programs and off TV as well. And then we'll also be talking about this event that you've heard me talking about the last few weeks. Uh, that's going to be happening over Halloween weekend. It's part of the Dark Zone, which are some friends that I made recently who they bring you great paranormal events from all different places virtually. And it's something they've been doing even before the pandemic. So it's a place where you can go, a, a website where you can go for an entire you know, weekend Four-day events they've been doing, three-day events, four-day events, and you get to go there throughout the course of that time and check in with live cameras, with lectures that are going on, you know, presentations from different speakers, a live chat the whole time so that you can interact with other people that are taking part. It's a really, really cool idea. And so I got to participate in the Lizzie Borden one that they had last month. And so they asked me back for this Queen Mary event. So I'll be taking part in that over Halloween weekend. I don't know exactly what day I'll be part of it, but that's okay because you buy one ticket and that covers you for the whole weekend. That one ticket allows you to check in with everything that's going on the entire time. And you can just sit there in the comfort of your own home and take part in a paranormal event. So, We'll find out more about that a little bit later on because Susan is one of the hosts. And we'll talk with her about, you know, just kind of what it's like to investigate that way uh, when you know you have people watching you live. It's one thing when you're filming a television show and investigating. It's another thing when you know that people are there live over your shoulder and, you know, you gotta there's there's stuff that you can't cut out. So I know that that would be my concern is all the dumb stuff that would just come out of my mouth. If you've ever been on an investigation with me, you know what I'm talking about. You've been there and you've experienced it. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the program. But in the first hour here, we'll have open lines. You can call in with whatever is on your mind, paranormally speaking, 508-996-0500. 508-996-0500. And I know a lot of you that are listening on the simulcast on Midnight FM. Hello. Good evening. Thank you for tuning in. Maybe you're listening on the Paranormal Radio app. Hello to you as well. So, you know, you're, you're not really used to the fact that this is a terrestrial radio station. We're on a real, a real radio station here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, the south coast of Massachusetts. That's why it's spooky south coast. So the number is a little different, uh, actually a lot different than the number you would normally call from my Midnight Society program that airs weeknights. So if you... Need that number and you can't fit, you know, you can't write it down. You didn't write it down. You're looking for it later on. You can just go to the WBSM.com website. It's right there for you to call in, but uh, I'll give it frequently. It's 
0500. It's also up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well, so that you'll always be able to have that handy if you ever want to call into the program. And we encourage people to call in with their paranormal experiences, with their with their questions, with their thoughts. Uh, and if you're new to the program, if you if you haven't been hearing Spooky South Coast, well, we've been on for almost 15 years. We'll celebrate our 15th anniversary this coming January. And that's pretty exciting. That's pretty cool. I don't think a lot of paranormal shows have been around that long. Uh, I can think of a few off the top of my head, but not many. But one of the things that we do each year as part of our, you know, kind of regular things that we like to do as part of the program, we have our annual Bridgewater Triangle investigation show. And the Bridgewater Triangle, I'm sure most of you listening locally here, you know that the Bridgewater Triangle has grown in popularity over the last, you know, 10 years or so. Uh, And really, ever since the documentary came out, and I believe uh, 2014, that's really kind of kicked things up. And you can check that out on Amazon Prime if you've never seen it, the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. And over the last few years, you know, we, we tried some different things uh, for these Bridgewater Triangle investigation shows. Now, the basic premise is always the same, where we send paranormal teams out into the triangle to different locations. You know, we coordinate ahead of time to make sure that, you know, t- two groups aren't going to the same spot because that would just be, you know, pointless. There's a lot of triangle to cover. And we have them out there investigating the same way they would conduct any other investigation. And then they call in or we call them at different segments of the show and, and find out what's going on and they give us a live report. And we've we've done some different uh, approaches over the last few years. We've tried bringing in Facebook Live video. We've tried bringing in, uh, you know, some green screen stuff here in the studio and we were running the spooky TV on YouTube. You know, there's been all these different ways that we've tried to do it. But last year it was really cool just going back to the old school method of just having the teams call in. So I think we'll probably stick with that this year just because I don't have a lot of extra hands that can come in and help with a, a larger production. But it's possible that we could also, you know, create the opportunity for them to, to maybe go Facebook Live on the Spooky South Coast Facebook page. I'll, I'll look into that. But at the very least, we will still have our Bridgewater Triangle investigation show, and we will have it coming up in the next couple of weeks because we want to make sure that it's a little bit colder We want the mosquitoes to, they probably won't die off because I don't think we're going to have a a serious frost before then, but we want the mosquitoes to not be as bad because we have to deal with, you know, Eastern equine encephalitis and West Nile virus here. Uh, Thankfully, it doesn't seem like either have been particularly bad uh, this year, but that's okay. We still like to play it safe, but also, you know, it's cool to do it in October because it fits into kind of getting ready for Halloween and that type of programming. So my thoughts are that we will do this on October 17th. So Saturday night, October 17th, we will have teams out live in various locations of the Bridgewater Triangle. And if you have a paranormal investigation team or if you are an investigator, reach out to me either on Facebook or via email, tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. And let me know that you'd want to take part. And what we'll do is we'll build, you know, it's it's usually, if we can help it, it's usually a team that's already existing going to one location. But in some cases, there are people who are, you know, individuals that we need to partner up with a group because we're not going to send you out alone in the triangle. 
So there's a little bit of finagling with who we're going to send where and all that kind of stuff. And also, if you're going to get involved, you kind of have to understand that for the benefit of the program, you know, I kind of have the final say about who goes where. And, you know, it's, 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 been a, it's never really been an issue, but there has been some times when people were upset because they couldn't go to a certain place. And the only reason why I told them they couldn't go to that certain place is because we already had another team that was going there. So it's kind of a first come first serve type of thing. Uh, but if you want to email me, tell me where it is that you would like to go. Tell me who it is that would be going with you. Give me your contact information. Uh, send all of that to me either on Facebook or in an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Now I want to reiterate, this is not something that I want you to do if you are not a seasoned veteran paranormal investigator. So this isn't for the, the run-of-the-mill person that says, hey, I'd really like to get out and, and, and be on a paranormal investigation. That's not what this night is about. First of all, because of safety concerns, I don't want to send people that don't know what they're doing, paranormally speaking, out into the woods or the Hockamock Swamp or any of these places that, that people go to. Secondly, we need teams that have experience because we need teams that know what they're doing on the investigation because we only have a limited window to find out if there's any activity happening. Now, for the most part, these teams start early. You know, they usually head out right around the time it starts to get dark, maybe 7, 8 o'clock. And so that by that point, by the time they start calling into the program at 10 p.m., they've already had enough time to really kind of get things going. And then even though the program ends at midnight, a lot of them will still stay out for a little while and take part. And the other part of this that is key is that, re, you know, I shouldn't say real parent, but, you know, people that are experienced paranormal investigators, they understand all the ins and outs of what's involved in going to investigate a place. So you just can't, and this has happened. People have gone to places to investigate and then dropped our name when they get caught by the police. I'm here on an investigation for WBSM. I'm here on an investigation for Spooky South Coast. People have actually done that. And anybody that we work with that has taken part in these in these Bridgewater Triangle investigation programs are people that I know. If I don't know you, I'm not letting you go. Because of that very reason, that people have utilized this concept as a way to kind of justify breaking the rules. And all of the, the folks that will be investigating as part of this night, I promise you, will have gone to the local police to let them know or informed, you know, the, whoever it is that's in charge. You know, if it's, you know, Freetown State Forest, some, you know, some years we've had people in the state forest, they've gone to the, to the, to the park rangers and told them they were going to be there. You know, that's the, the, the key part of this is nobody's going to be part at any of these locations without permission. And then the other part of that, too, is that they know how to be respectful to the area. So maybe some of these places, they might be close to residential places. They're not going to go and show up and, you know, flash their headlights and, and, and be loud and, and not you know, be careful and courteous of the people that are around them. So because it's our reputation on the line, 
with this. We are selective about who we let out there. But that being said, you know, the people who we have worked with that want to be part of this, by all means, email me or Facebook me and we will start to make arrangements to get teams out into the field. The If I say no, please don't be upset. What I will try to do is if I have people that we've never worked with, but, you know, have good reputations in the field, we'll just partner you up with people that we do know and teams that we do know. Because it's a unique thing. It's not like going on any other paranormal investigation. And with that in mind, we, you know, we want to make sure that it's worth your time as well as it is ours. So we will have all the details about that, you know, as we go forward. Uh, If you want to take part in that, then you can certainly, again, Facebook message me and then you can also email me, tim at midnight.fm. And then I've been talking with uh, some folks about different things that are going on in October because I know that there are, there's usually so many things going on, so many paranormal things, so many haunted things. So, and it's going to be different this year. And I'm going to be giving some library lectures that you can take part in completely free of charge. Uh, and I've been talking about these uh, for the last few weeks, but uh, you know, I'm going to just keep reminding you so that you can sign up if you want to take part. I spoke with my team last night. By my team, I mean I dropped this on Amy on Midnight Drive last night. But I do think we'll be able to, uh, any overflow from these library lectures, I think we'll be able to stream on the Midnight FM Facebook page. So we want to try to keep the Zooms open for local people. And I'm going to be speaking on October 19th for the Lakeville Public Library. And I'll be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. And then on the 28th of October, I will be talking with the Middleborough Public Library about Presidential Paranormal. And so I'd like to see the local folks get into the Zoom rooms for that. And then we'll just overflow it to Spooky South Coast, I mean, to uh, Midnight FM's Facebook page. So if you want to, you know, take part in that you'll still be able to. But I'd like to keep the Zooms open for the local people so that the libraries feel like, you know, that their local patrons got to be the ones to, to take part in that. And they'll be they'll be in there monitoring that. So, you know, I'd rather that the local folks be in there. But we'll we'll figure all that out. And then of course also I've been talking about how on the 29th I will be giving a presentation of a, a spooktacular evening of ghost stories and legends. And that's going to be taking place in Middleborough. Uh, with the Burtwood School and the um, the Alley Theater, uh, because they are not utilizing the theater, it's going to happen outdoor, outdoors on the patio with uh, food provided by Central Cafe, and there'll be a there'll be a bar uh, cash bar available too, and I'll be telling some ghost stories out on this patio. Everybody will be sitting at tables with umbrellas, and there's heaters out there and all of that. Uh, but that event has sold out. So I'm working now with Lorna to add another date. And I'll keep you up to date with all of that so that you'll be able to take part in that if you want to. They, they're looking for a $20 donation per person to take part in this. Uh, but it should be a really good time. It should be something very cool and unique. And I'm excited for it because 
you know, I, I go out and I tell, I, I go out and I give lectures all the time, but I don't really get to tell stories anymore uh, since we haven't been doing the stage show. But I love to get out there and tell these creepy stories. And, and I'm going to tell some of the ones that I know that a lot of you have enjoyed over the years at the, at those, uh, at those stage shows. So the question that people keep asking me, you know, will you tell the redheaded hitchhiker story? Of course. And then the other question that people keep asking is, will you tell the story of Liza Tower Hill, the witch of halfway pond? And I absolutely will, because I love telling that story. Uh, It's a great Cape Cod ghost legend. And I also love the reaction that I get from people. It's hard in the paranormal world to get laughs. So when I can get laughs, I like to do that. All right. So 508-996-0500, if you would like to call in with any questions, comments, thoughts, if you want to tell me uh, you know, that you don't believe in ghosts, I'll let you do that too. I promise I won't hang up on you. But one of the things that I want to talk about here in this first hour is Last week, I mentioned it. I mentioned Moniz briefly that I had a, well, for lack of a better term, a UFO sighting. Because when I left my house to come to to the studio here, I saw this bright red fireball in the sky. And I saw it making odd turns, and I saw it moving at a fast clip, and I saw it going in a straight line for a great distance. And it was just one red bright light with no other lights around it like you would normally see on a plane or a helicopter or anything. And I told the story on the air. I had video of it that I showed to Moniz. Uh, He had video of a similar sighting that had happened very closely to my house, uh, I think a couple of days before. And then Monday morning... I wake up and I look at my phone and Maddie from fun 107 from the Michael and Maddie show has sent me a message saying that she caught something and she was going to write about it for fun 107.com. She caught something Sunday night and she sent me the video and I looked at it and I'll be honest with you. You know, the first thing that I thought when I saw it was these look like Chinese lanterns and it turns out that they, they, probably actually almost definitely were because they had set off some Chinese lanterns Sunday night as a memorial in Fall River. So as she's leaving a restaurant in Fall River around the time they set these things off and she sees them in the sky, you know, uh, yeah, okay, Chinese lanterns. But somebody had sent in a video from Fairhaven that I don't believe was the same night. And then I put in my video, which was also not the same night. It was the night before. Then knowing that Moniz has the video that he has, and both he and I feel like the the video that he was given and the one that I captured, we both feel like those aren't Chinese lanterns. We've seen enough Chinese lanterns videos to know. And then the Fairhaven video looks like it's probably not lanterns. Then last night, the paranormal pirate, Mark, sends me a message with a link to an Instagram account of a person who's been filming a lot of UFOs in the sky. And I think a lot of the stuff that was on this account, I won't name it because I don't want to, you know, have to crap on somebody. But a lot of the videos that I saw, I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's a planet. This time of year, everybody's walking out of their house 
and seeing a UFO because the skies are so clear and bright and you're seeing Venus and Mars uh, extremely close up, even Jupiter, you know, extremely close up, plus a couple of other different stars. So when you get out there and you look at it, you're like, wow, what is that bright light? And it's a planet or a star. And you can tell by, you know, downloading one of those sky map programs, uh, one of those apps on your phone, and then just holding it up to the to the sky. And as you move around, it'll tell you what is where, and then that'll kind of give you an indication of what it is that you're looking at. I walked out of the studio here, um, not last Saturday, but the Saturday before. And when I looked up at the the nice bright moon, I saw a, 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 another light very close to it. And I usually, you, you usually don't see stars, you know, right next to the moon like that. But I pulled out my sky map app. And that's what I held up and I looked and I was like, okay, well, that's a star. And it says what star it is right here. And it'll tell you how far it is from Earth and all of that. But there definitely seems to be, because I, I check on the MUFON site, I check on the National UFO Reporting Center, I get emails once a month from MUFON with the newsletter telling me about the number of sightings. And as I'm looking through all of these, I, I, I can't help but think that we're in the middle of a UFO flap. Now, a UFO flap is when they're reported at a frequent clip for a short period of time. I think one of the most famous UFO flaps here in southern New England was in the late 60s. I think it went from 66 to 69. So over the course of three years... We had frequent, frequent UFO sightings, including quite a few at Round Hill in Dartmouth. And I wrote an article last year for, for Fun 107 and WBSM about that. I'll probably bring it back out uh, at some point during this month so that people can, you know, just get some good paranormal stories. But Colonel Green, who lived in the mansion... You know, I think if most people know that his mom, Hetty Green, built the mansion, uh, I'm sorry, uh, built the fortune and then he built the mansion and then he lived there. But while he lived there, he was allowing MIT to conduct experiments at Round Hill. They built the fir one of the first radio stations at Round Hill. They were conducting electromagnetic experiments at Round Hill. In fact, the Van de Graaff generators, when you go to the Museum of Science and you see the lightning show, the lightning show, that, those, that, that electricity, that lightning is generated by what's called Van de Graaff generators. And those Van de Graaff generators in the Museum of Science were at Round Hill. I believe it was MIT that built them to conduct these experiments. So while all of this stuff was going on, there were lights reported in the sky. So I don't know if it was that they were trying to communicate with something in the experimentation that they were doing, or if those experiments caught the eye of whatever these things are. Now, you know, Moniz isn't here tonight, so we're not going to get into a fight about it, but we, we definitely differ on what it is that we think these beings could be. Now, I'll be honest, I'm talking about it, I hope, from just a perspective of research and collecting stories and hearing stories and talking with guests over the years. I don't think that I've been abducted. I hope that I wasn't. I hope that all of a sudden, you know, a memory doesn't pop up into my head that had been repressed. But 
Moniz has been abducted. And he, well, he tells us that he has been taken by these beings in the past. And his experience then is completely different than, you know, what it is that I've done into the subject matter just by talking to people and, and reading books and what have you. So I, I can't, I can't discount what it is that he says happened to him. But at the same time, I, I've, I just find it hard to believe that there are alien beings from other planets just hanging around in our skies. And then they're going to show up when they see some electromagnetic experiments happening in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. My theory and my belief is that it's, it's, it's more of a earthbound creation, but that it's still anomalous phenomena. So the, the, the beings may be real and the ships may be real, but there's something that are a manifestation of mankind, not another species coming to visit from another planet. Because, you know, we've talked, I, I mean, I've talked with a lot of astrophysicists in the last, you know, year or so since I started doing the Midnight Society program and, and, and the one I was doing before that. And they almost all say, as much as they would like to think of the possibility of beings coming from another planet, that our understanding of, of biology just wouldn't allow that. Is it possible that, you know, there's there are beings that don't obey by our rules of physics and our understanding of biology? Of course. But if that's the case, would they appear to us as beings that seem to obey our physics and our laws of biology? So... It's a deep question and, and one we're probably not going to get into here tonight. But I do think that it's more likely that the aliens and the ships are just manifestations of our imagination, of our, you know, the same way that I think that a lot of ghosts that we deal with could be thought forms that we're putting out there. Uh, so could these beings. And I always, I always use the term, you know, our modern day boogeyman because Mankind always has to be afraid of something. That fear is part is an intrinsic part of us, and we need to have a, a justification for that fear. So we will always have a boogeyman, and our boogeyman usually reflects the times that we are in. So why wouldn't our boogeyman of a modern age be of a modern tilt? And that would account for Aliens coming from other planets in, in spaceships because we think that we have mastered everything on this planet. And it's hard for us to believe in, you know, the, in my opinion, the aliens of today are the, the fairy folk of, you know, 150 years ago. If you try to manifest that boogeyman as a fairy today, people wouldn't be afraid of it. People wouldn't be apprehensive about it. They either would completely dismiss the notion, because I think most people would tell you, well, fairies don't exist. But those who do believe in them, they believe in them in a positive, uplifting, uh, magical connection kind of way. 
so they wouldn't be afraid of them. So that fear has to manifest as something different than it would have then. And so then, yes, you know, an alien would be something that would be we would definitely be afraid of because we wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't know how it got here. And then eventually we would make peace with that. And then it would have to be something else. But that doesn't mean that the lights in the sky that people are seeing can't be anomalous phenomena. It doesn't mean that the lights in the sky can't be the quote-unquote aliens. It just means that I don't think that they're coming from you know, other planets. But it doesn't discount the sightings. It doesn't even discount in my mind the, the close encounters and the interactions. I think that if people like Moniz feel that they have been abducted by something, if they have been taken against their will and brought somewhere and had something happen to them, I firmly believe that that, in their mind, has definitely happened to them. I'm not saying that I think that they're making it up. I think that they do believe it. But I do think that it's probably not the experience that they think that it is. That it's not that they were taken aboard a ship or taken somewhere else to be experimented on by extraterrestrial beings from another planet who for some reason are coming here and taking people from our planet. Maybe you disagree. You can call in 508-996-0500. But as I said, that doesn't discount the experience of, of what it is that you've seen. And what I saw the other night was the least compelling of my now three UFO sightings. As I said, it doesn't seem to be a Chinese lantern by any of my understanding of a Chinese lantern. But if it turned out to be one, I wouldn't be, you know, 100% surprised. I would just think that perhaps there was something going on atmospherically that allowed for my eyes to play tricks on me. But I can't explain the other sightings that I've had. Uh, and I, I've told them before, but I'll just briefly go over them here again. Uh, the first being a few years ago, coming home from a Lizzie Borden event, driving right over on 195, driving right over the Cushnet River, looking out as I'm heading from Fall River to Wareham, so I'm heading east on 195. And as I'm driving down the road, I, I, something compelled me to look out over the river uh, on the, you know, the, the, the north end side of New Bedford toward a Cushnet, and I look and I see a light in the sky, and it's 3.15, 3.30 in the morning, and this light in the sky is flying across. I'm like, well, that's weird that there's this, you know, low-flying plane at this time of night. I would think the airport's closed. It's not. A, I don't think it's a 24-hour airport. I've, uh, I've gone there to drop off rental cars at like 6 a.m., and it doesn't seem like it's open all the time. So... I look over and I see this, this what I think is a plane moving, and then all of a sudden it just zips across the sky super fast. Zip, zip, zoo. 
and takes off. It uh, it went to three different spots, zipping by in the sky before taking off so quickly and then disappearing. So that was strange enough. And then my second sighting happened, not this past summer, I believe, but the summer before it. Yeah, the summer before it. I was, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember exactly when, but I was driving home. I was driving in, in Sandwich. And I, was, I had gone to my landlord's house to drop something off, and, and I just dropped it in his mailbox because it was late at night. And I was coming down the road, and as I was coming down the road going down a hill, I saw this, what looked like a house floating in the sky over me, but it looked like the reflection of a house almost. Like it was something being reflected from my rearview mirror into my front windshield, I mean from my rear, rear windshield into my front windshield or something. You know, very strange. And as I was going down the hill, it seemed to be coming down with me uh, directly in my line of sight. And I could make out a front door and I could make out a window and I could make out the panes of the window, uh, almost like a bay window. But there was a bright light coming from behind the window that was making it so I couldn't see anything inside. So I could see the panes, you know, the, the, I don't know what the word is, you know, but the little dividers that would be in the glass, uh, and I could see that, but I couldn't see anything else inside because the light that was coming from inside was so intense. And when I came to the bottom of the hill, I expected to see that house across from me, uh, across the road, and it was there was no house. And then I just went up the street a little bit more to where there was a, a, a cranberry bog and a marsh area. I'm sorry, a, mar- a salt marsh area. And I saw people standing outside looking up in the sky in the same area where I had just been. So I wasn't the only one that saw this, you know, from from that experience. So very strange. And uh, that one weirds me out even more because why would it be appearing as a house? You know, was it trying to look more appealing or enticing to me? I don't know. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phone. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Uh, good evening. How are you? First, first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, the topic today is UFOs. Um, a couple of months ago, I think it was in August, uh, Chris Pittman was on a podcast discussing his history with UFOs. Did you get, get a chance to hear that? I did not. No, I, I have talked with Chris uh, quite a bit here. We had, We had him on the program uh, years and years ago, and and he actually told the story that I've heard him tell now, uh, but that he, you know, I think he told it for the first time on this show from when he was camping, and had a, a UFO experience. But I don't know if I remember any of his other stories. Yeah, um, you should get a chance when you get a chance. You should listen to it because he sort of goes through a whole history, including that camping story as well as. Um, pretty disturbing story. I know that Stephanie's always afraid of these types of stories. And hearing um, Chris's um, history, it's definitely very scary. Yeah, and, and for those who don't know, if you've, if you've ever seen the Ancient Alien program, you've probably seen Chris Pittman on it. Uh, and he's, he's a, a local guy. He's from southeastern Massachusetts, and he was one of the first real researchers into the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, after Lauren Coleman had, had termed the phrase, uh, coined the phrase, and then it 
you know, kind of went dormant for years. Chris was one of the people that picked up that mantle. So it was, it, you know, even beyond the creepiness of that camping story, the, the stories were even scarier than that. Uh, yes. I mean, that's that's a pretty freaky story to begin with. So I can only imagine what that's like. Uh, how about yourself? Have you had experiences? Have you had any uh, any sightings of any of these weird things? Uh, me personally, I have not. No. Would you want to? Um, that's the thing. Uh, I, I think out of all the paranormal, I guess, possibilities, that's probably the, the one that scares me the most. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. That, and you said this was on a podcast that he was on? Correct. Do you remember um, the name of it? I think it was called the Big Truth Podcast. And I think the theme of the podcast is like punk rock. And I, I think... Um, the guy who the, the guy who runs the podcast is out of East Freetown. Okay. Um, and so the, the podcast is pretty long. I think it was like three hours long. Wow. And they talked about like his history with like punk rock, but they do spend a, a fair amount of time discussing his experiences uh, with both researching UFOs and um, just um, witnessing them as well. I'll have to check that out. We'll have to reach out to him, too, and have him back. It's been so long. Uh, one of the plans that I have for our 15th anniversary coming up uh, in January is I want to reach out to some of those very early guests that we had on that we haven't had back on in a while and, and bring them on either here or on my Midnight Society program during the week and, and see if we can't kind of do like a little catch-up with some of these guests. Sounds great. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Well, stay going to the phones. Hello, you're next on Spooky South Coast. What's shaking, player? What's going on, Lamone? How are you? Uh, it's been it's, it's a bad, been the last bad last few days. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm at the hospital with my uh, baby's mother. She's in critical condition. Oh, no. And I, I tried to call last night before I couldn't get through to you then, but I have to come out, out outside to talk because it's like so many people... They, they won't let people in, and she's like, um, she's been intubated and stuff right now. So, and it's and it's not good. I um, and I was going to say, like, uh, remember how I was telling you, like how I had been having ever since for years. I when I saw the quake happening in, in California, the, the ground would be all burnt up. You know, the, I told you the ground would be all black and charred. Mm-hmm. And when I used to talk to my mother about it, and, she, and I say when that would happen, I I told her um. I told her I would see, like, there would be something in the sky just before your birthday. And she said, well, well and, I, and she said, my birthday, you know, look, that could be probably me and my election day. It's a birthday before. So, and so I'm thinking, that's the case. Let's look to the sky, you know. I think there's something coming towards the earth uh, on, on the, the day before election day on the, fourth, the third. So look at that. And, um, and that's going to be sad because I see a lot of stuff that goes down that I told you is going to be more than a third of the people wiped off the earth in the next few years, the next 10 years. And it's going to be, I'm going to say it's going to be like down to two, two, two million, I mean, two billion people, something like that, you know, a two, three billion at the, at the most. And so I'm just giving everybody to show people to get ready. And they have to get there, keep the nose clean and find, find, find God. And, you know, it's like, you can believe what you want to believe, but if you don't, if you believe, if you're praying down, bound down to the wrong place, you're just going to be staying down and being down with the wrong people. And that's, you know, I well, hope people find that find that direction. 
I mean, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. I, I don't mean to sound rude about it, uh, but we just have to be careful alone with making, you know, with sharing those kind of predictions on the air, just because of the fact that we're on the radio and regulated by the FCC. So there's concerns with things that might cause mass hysteria like that. Just, just so you're aware. Okay, not again. Okay, forbid. You know, it's like it, it, well, I'm just keeping the 100, 100, keeping the 100, and it's like. I don't, and I, and I've been on TV talking about this stuff before. I was on Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones are referring to this same exact thing that people ask me when that, but is a big one going to happen? I don't know if it's going to be the big one, but it's going to be a big one. Okay, well, I, I, I don't mean to, to go away from the seriousness of this conversation, but you've been on Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones? Yeah, it's a couple, I would say like eight times each. They've been, they've been off there for a long time. So, yeah. And so, and it's like, it was kind of scary, and, and uh, I could go into it, but I'd want to go up, not really into being all like Mr. Happy Pants, like I usually am. And so it's just like I just want to make sure everybody is, you know, up, keep, keep the nose clean and, and bound down where they need to bow down. Give love, and, and, and if you got people out there that sick, you older people, whatever you get, let them know you love them because it's like it's not good. It's not good. And like my baby's mother, she's she's. She she's real, she looks really young, but she was really bad. She's really bad off, and so and it's like I, I don't know if I you know I can't hear the programming right now, so I don't know if and when I'll be calling you back. Maybe it might not be till next month. I'm just letting you know, keeping one of them. Well, we will definitely and, um, we'll we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers, Lamone. You and you and your family, uh, and and hopefully, it. yeah, hope, hopefully things uh, you know, hopefully things turn out better than than they, than they look right now. So too, and it's, and it's like, you know, she's in, she's almost ready, and it's like I, you know, it's like I've been there, and it's like, oh, I don't want to. You're not open, you're not gonna make me cry tonight, so. But I want to just say, yeah, I just want to say thank you for being you, buddy, and and hopefully I'll see you someday soon. Maybe you'll get out of here before everything goes bad, you know, goes worse. And and remember, I said, oh, like that's a good laugh. It's gonna be funny when when Trump gets gets COVID. Well, it popped up with that after you came to Vegas. What's up with that? Yeah, you know? I don't, yeah. What happened there? Uh, of all things, the catch in Vegas. So, you know, but that's it. Could be worse things, but I don't know much how much worse. But like I said, could you one thing for me? Could you personally do something when you see your mom? Could you give her a hug for me? Absolutely. You know, my mom's been gone for a long time, so, and I want to say just I was money was there and Stephanie there, so I tell them, you know, give them wish them the best of luck. But you could do that for me. Will do. And keep up, keep up midnight aside. Keep it going, player. You know, you my boy. And it's like I don't want to look. Oh, fuck. all right. I'll check it off. Check it off. But all right. So like I said, just I just want you to know that. And thank you for for father entertainment and all the exciting conversations and and, and programming you put out there. I enjoy it thoroughly. I might not be on there as much as I'd like to be, but oh, oh well. Well, I and think. It's like, I thank you for listening, and, and, and I love you, man. So I hope hope things go well, and uh, and we'll talk soon. All right, God bless you. You God as well. God bless everyone out there listening. Play Take on, care. brother. Play on. You too. All right, that is Lamone. Uh, everybody, please uh, keep his uh, baby's mother in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, keep Lamone and all of his family in your thoughts and prayers. Uh, we love him. You know, and I know we, we tease him and we joke back and forth with him, but, you know, he's... He's here with us all the time. He's a big supporter of what it is that we do, and uh, and and he's a, he's a character. And 
if you get to know the real Lamon like I have, you know, you you can't help but love the guy. So we will definitely uh, keep good thoughts uh, for him and his family. Uh, 508-996-0500 is the number if you want to call in. We have about uh, about seven minutes left in this hour. Then coming up in the second hour, we'll be joined by Susan Slaughter. We're going to be talking about her paranormal adventures, her uh, work in the paranormal field. She also has a very interesting background. Maybe we can get into some of that as well. And we're going to be talking about this new event that's happening with the Dark Zone. It's going to be over Halloween weekend at the Queen Mary. And if you have never been to the Queen Mary, I've never been, but I hope to get out there someday. Uh, the Queen Mary is docked. So it's a cruise ship that's permanently docked. And it is severely haunted. Everybody that that has worked there over the years uh, has reported stories. People who have stayed there have reported stories. There are you know, numerous. We, we've done episodes of this program talking about it. Uh, there are numerous uh, stories and, and hauntings associated with the Queen Mary, and they're going to be looking into all of those with live cameras during the event. They're going to be looking into those with people you know, joining in in investigations that you can watch. There's going to be also uh, celebrity guests. There's going to be music involved. It's pretty cool what they have planned, and the whole thing is available it's just $19.99 to get your ticket for the entire weekend. So you'll get pretty much virtual access to the entire ship, 24-hour surveillance of the most haunted rooms, interaction directly with the paranormal investigators, musical performances, special celebrity guest appearances, a virtual Halloween costume contest and prize giveaways, a Day of the Dead celebration, a live chat, all of that. Just $19.99 gets you into all of that. And some of the featured guests, you know, we'll go over this uh, again, too, coming up in the next hour, but just some of the featured guests, Kane Hodder, who you know as playing Jason in a number of the uh, Friday the 13th movies, Chad Lindbergh from Supernatural and and Fast and Furious, and, of course, uh, Ghost Stalkers, the program that I worked with him on. And you'll be able to, to hang out with him as part of this as well. A number of your favorite paranormal investigators like Kristen Lumen, who we had on the program last month. Andrea Perrin from The Conjuring House in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Dustin Parry, a local guy who was on Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. Jeff Belanger, who you all know as being on the program so many times uh, over the years. Uh, also Sam Baltrusis, who you know locally as well. Ken DaCosta from Rise Up Paranormal in Rhode Island. And uh, we'll also have uh, Bridget Marqua, the ghost magnet. You know her from E's Girls Next Door. And uh, I had her on my Midnight Society program. Uh, she is delightful. And I think you'll all enjoy hanging out with her during her segment of this as well. So many more people involved in this, uh, including Tony Raffman and his wife, Cherie, who we had on last week here on Spooky South Coast, or two weeks ago, I should say. You're really going to have, you know, a, a good amount of different people to interact with over the course of, you know, the, the days that this is going on. It's happening October 29th through November 1st, four nights of Halloween with the Queen. And if you want to get your tickets now, I put up on my Twitter account at Tim Weisberg and on my Facebook page, a special code to go and get your tickets now. Uh, but we'll give all that information out when we come back as well. And I, you know, can't really get out there and investigate with you this year and, and go to haunted places locally on the South coast. So this is the next best thing. The chance that we all get to kind of get together and hang out. So when we come back after the break coming up, we'll get into some of the stories uh, with Susan about what goes on there. We're going to get into some of her investigations that she's done, and we're going to find out 
about what it's like to be part of the the programs that she's been part of, but also some of these other uh, live investigations that she's been doing as part of this. We want to find out about her experiences at the Lizzie Borden house. She was just there last month, and I, I only got to join them for an hour, but I could tell that they were having quite the weekend at the Lizzie Borden house last month, so we can talk about all that. By the way, there is still the story up on WBSM.com about the Maplecroft house still being for sale. It's still available. It's still on the market. If you have $890,000 that you would like to spend on a fully furnished piece of history, that's available. But there's also a news story up on WBSM.com that the oldest house in Wareham is for sale. It dates back to 1683. It's just about under $600,000. But when you see this house, you're going to look at it and say, oh man, I want it. It is my dream house. My friend Carolyn McMorrow lives there, and it has been, you know, since I first went over there and got to visit her house, I have said, this is where I want to live. But, you know, the Mega Millions ticket that I bought last night came up empty. So maybe one of you out there has $600,000 you're looking to spend on a historic home. You can check it out by going to WBSM.com. And yes, there have been stories of the house being haunted. But that's not why you want to buy it. You want to buy it because you want to live in a piece of history, because you want to live in the oldest house in Wareham, one of the oldest houses around. You want to cook dinner on the hearth like Carolyn does. She has a room in her house dedicated to Abraham Lincoln. She also has, you know, this this house has something that you don't see very much of anymore either, a good morning staircase, where there are stairs that lead out of the two bedrooms and, and they meet in the middle and then they go down one single staircase together. So it's like you come down your stairs, good morning, on the landing, and then you go down to the to the bottom and you start your day. So you can see all of that by going to WBSM.com, and you'll see Casey's story there about the oldest house in Wareham being for sale. And I I, I gave her the, the, the story idea, you know, because that's my job here during the week is, uh, you know, running the websites. And I, I was hesitant to do it. I was like, do I want anybody to really know that it's for sale? Or do I want to just keep buying lottery tickets and hoping that I hit the, the jackpot so that I can go and buy it? And I was like, ah, you know what? Somebody else will buy it and enjoy it and keep that history alive. So check that out at WBSM.com. And you can find out about that and both Maplecroft being for sale. And if you do happen to buy either one of those and you need, you know, a paranormal investigator to come over and hang out, or even if you just want me to come over and cook you dinner on the hearth, I'll do that. You know, that was my previous life. I was a cook for over 20 years. So I'll do that. All right, we'll take a break and then back with Susan Slaughter here on Spooky South Coast. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store.
two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here with you. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. No psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. Just myself, but also my guest for the rest of the program tonight, uh, who will be joining us now. You know her from, she started, you know, coming into your homes on the program Ghost Hunters Academy on Sci-Fi, and then moved on from there to the Ghost Hunters International program for three seasons. And now you can see her on all of the great uh, investigations that are happening with our friends over at the Dark Zone. Joining us now on the line is Susan Slaughter. Good evening, Susan. How are you? Hey, how are you? Doing well, doing well. I'm so glad that we finally get the chance to talk. I think, you know, uh, we've we've probably been in the same orbit now for a long time, and I don't think we've ever had you on the program before. No, I know. I'm glad to be on tonight, finally. <laughs> I, and I was thinking about it when I saw you on Jeff Belanger's Speakeasy, and I was like, man, I don't think we've ever had Susan on. And so when, you know, when Renee connected us, I was like, oh, perfect. You know, I was already thinking that we had to have you on, especially with all the great stuff that you've been doing lately, uh, especially with the stuff with the Dark Zone. Yeah, yeah. You forgot to mention, I just have to shamelessly pluck it because it is my current uh, thing I'm doing on television these days. But um, like you mentioned, I was working on sci-fi for several years as a paranormal investigator, but now I am the paranormal expert on Paranormal Caught on Camera for Travel Channel, which is on every Sunday night. And uh, I think we're in hitting the end of season three right now but um yeah new episodes every sunday night and i I just Um, i just got myself fired off hotel paranormal for forgetting to mention that so (laughs) it's okay (laughs) that's uh that's why i'm here to to just you know just stake my claim on on the little the little edge of the paranormal content that i have for travel channel well, I, I, but, I have um, to say, though, not, not to interrupt you, but I, I, I love the way that people have reacted to that program uh, because, you know, it's it shows that not everything has to be, you know, a, 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 an eight hour investigation to have paranormal activity happening. You get all these nice little bits and pieces here and there that proves that this stuff's all around us. Well, I mean, to be honest, a lot of the things that come on, you know, are cameras that have probably been rolling on surveillance systems for months days years until this happens so Mm -hmm. i mean it's yes activity happens you know on its own whim you know but um yeah a lot of the things that we get i mean are actually from investigations that do take forever we only just get the juicy bits you know and that's what we show the audience Well, but still, I mean, I know it's it's I know it's one of the most popular programs on Travel Channel. Uh, you know, it, it seems to it always seems to be one of those uh, episodes that people are talking. You know, it's very water cooler on Monday morning. Oh yeah, you know what I like about doing that series too is obviously like my background is in you know paranormal phenomena, but I do get to like uh, see footage from all different aspects of you know the supernatural, including you know things that are extraterrestrial in nature and crypto. So it's like, you know, I get to look at and uh, talk with, it's like a round table from, you know, everyone on the series has their own expertise and we get to talk about things from, you know, our side of the phenomena and how it, you know, you know, translates to us. And I think that's a cool conversation to have. And, you know, it, it's also all encompassing. So you might, if you're not totally into ghosts, but you're totally into Bigfoot, you watch the series and it still like suits you, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, and it gives you kind of you know uh, it, I don't know if you really have ever had the experience to go out and look for some of these things. Have you looked into other paranormal phenomena in your own investigations besides just ghosts? 
Um, on several occasions, yeah, uh, especially with Ghost Hunters International, uh, when you travel the world, sometimes phenomena is interpreted differently, and it's still something that we would pursue with our gear, you know. Um, one instance is, you know, uh, we've investigated, you know, banshees in Ireland, and we've investigated, you know, um, these folkloric, like, tales, like the Soconia and Trinidad, which is like this ball of light that, you know, can manifest as like a witch or a neighbor or something like that. And um, yeah, definitely we have kind of crossed into different things like shapeshifters and um, even, you know, uh, gods of, you know, the South Pacific Islands. So, yeah. I mean, that's the best when you can actually get out there and look into some of these legends and also in the land of those legends. So it's not just something that you're looking at, you know, through a book, but it's something that you're actually standing in the places where people have reported having these encounters and and looking into them. I mean, that's that's a pretty cool gig to have. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm shooting paranormal caught on camera in front of a green screen and I definitely (laughs) miss being on site and traveling the world. But, you know, the pandemic has kind of put a lot of things on hold, you know, and so I'm glad that I'm still able to be a correspondent on that series, you know, green screen or not. I still get to look at footage from all over the world and reminisce about the days of when I used to be like on Ghost Hunters International. But aside from that, I mean, whether I'm on a series or not, I always try to make it a point to get out of the country and do some investigations abroad. Um, but yeah, you know, everybody's sitting at home for the most part now, and I'm glad that I still get to do investigations. Actually, the last one I did was um, not too far from you, was over at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast in Maplecroft. So that was uh, quite the experience where I spent a whole week kind of delving into the backstory of, you know, the Borden family and the gruesome murders that happened there. Now, I only, I, I was pretty busy that weekend, so I only got to do the hour that I was on with you, and I didn't really right. get to, to catch some of the other stuff that was going on. Were, was there a lot of activity happening over the course of the weekend? Well, to be honest, I find that, you know, I found that the Maplecroft house had more intelligent activity that was very interactive. You know, we did have, like, Rise Up Paranormal come and investigate with us at the Borden uh, residence or the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. And a lot of the things that were happening, you know, like it's hard to say if there's activity or not. I mean, personally, I mean, we did pick up some interesting hits on like, you know, the modified radio, AKA spirit box, you know, but you know, when you're working in a, in a town or a city using spirit boxes, it's not my favorite method because you get a lot of, stations coming through and you know i it's interactive and it's it's fun for um you know people watching to try to listen in and see if they pick up anything but you get a lot of false positives using those types of methods um but that being said you know we had a ton of gear running and we had tons of cameras on and we did have a couple of occasions uh where people in hindsight would report to us because you know on the dark zone when we are do our events we set up, you know, a DVR set, uh, system with stationary cameras that run 24-7. And that way, you know, people viewing our DVR system, depending, like, 
where you are in the world. Like, you know, if you're waking up in Australia, they're probably having a cup of coffee while watching, you know, our super wee hour DVR, you know, live, you know, so they're able to capture things while like the, like we're asleep in the house, you know? So we got uh, like objects kind of, you know, falling over, moving on their own. We had a camera that got pushed off of the ledge by something we couldn't see, you know, things like that. Um, I noticed that at Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast, the things that stood out to me the most were the fact that objects were being manipulated. Um, you know, so we saw doors open and close on their own. We saw that camera slide off of a ledge on its own. I personally saw, um, some of our DVR, like wires for a DVR system that were running through the house and things like that. I was sitting next to it doing an EVP session and there was like a bundle that was like electrical taped together. And I saw that lift up right next to me and then just drop. Wow. Where, um, where, so do, do you remember where, where that was in the house? That was in um, the maid's room. Okay. And uh, that in the maid's room, we've captured three things move on its own. So that was really interesting. The camera had fallen a, the day before we saw the bundle of wires get lifted. And then we also had uh, a stuffed doll fall off of a chair on its own, too. So a lot of really interesting little things. And, um, you know, you put those. I've noticed that whatever's there can manipulate objects is slightly nothing too crazy. Not like pushing people down flights of stairs or anything. But, <laughs> Funny. You should mention, you that. know, uh, oh, no, what happened? Uh, well, I was pushed. <laughs> no, uh, don't tell me. I was pushed down a flight of stairs <laughs> and I was thrown up against the wall. Uh, and I was thrown up a flight of stairs, which was interesting. Uh, but yeah, the Lizzie Borden. Resident? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've had uh, tons of stuff, but I was going to mention, uh, when you mentioned those wires being moved for the, for the cameras, one of the first things that happened to us there that was significant was we were on that same third floor, but we were in the room that has the chimney in the middle of it. And we had mm-hmm. a camera on top of the chest of toys because I had previously had my legs lifted up off the off the bed in that room. So we had pointed the camera at that bed and we had that camera move on its own. And then... The, you know, the same thing. The wires were running along the wall and they were taped against the wall. Nobody could have like tripped over a wire or anything, but the camera still moved. The investigators go back into the room and reset the camera. And as they're standing there talking about how could this have happened, the camera just picks up and moves again right in front of their faces. Yeah, see, whatever's, and this is all the third floor, right? Yep. That's uh, that's the same type of situation that we were having. Not like extreme, like either have my legs lift up or anything like that but um i did have instances like i know this sounds weird and people are like how do you do that how can you sleep through phenomena but it's just like when you've been investigating you know a while you kind of become it's like you know like when you go camping in the woods at night you know it's like oh you hear something walking around or like a weird little grunt or something you can identify that and just be like oh that's a raccoon or or, you know you or a bear you know bears are obviously a lot scarier but (laughs) but you know like that's how i attribute phenomena a little bit you know where i'm sleeping in a room and i wake up to like this incredibly dark black mass um just kind of standing in the corner of the room and as I observe it, it kind of like moves up the walls and it crawls onto the ceilings. This is what people call like crawlers. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? 
And um, I was just kind of like, I'm exhausted. You know, I got to wake up early tomorrow. I got so many interviews with people. I've got a, a, an investigation and I got to move to the Maple Croft at night. Like, this is going to be the longest day ever. Like, crawler, do you, but please don't touch me. And I go back to sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, so you see weird things like that, you know? And I'm just like, oh, man, like, uh, you know, like, and of course, you don't have the best night sleep after that because, like, every time you doze off, you just kind of, like, force yourself to wake up and see if that dark mass is still there. You know, but um, on a, on the first night that I was there before, like, we even set up shop to do our Dark Zone event there, I slept in Abby Borden's room, which is the stepmother where she was murdered. Um, well, it's called the John Morse room, right. you know, because that initially is where uh, the uncle um, was living and, you know, all this stuff. But history aside... That was, everybody knows that was where, you know, stepmother was hatcheted to death. And I, I stayed in that room the first night. And I actually liked it because it was um, a very pleasant room with lots of window and lights, you know. And, and even at night, the street lights kind of bleed through, like, the windows. So I was like, oh, at least I'm not going to be sleeping in total pitch black, <laughs> right. you know, which yeah. was a little bit of a comfort to me. Because if I opened my eyes, I could see everything in the room, the room, you know. And you're and so, you're right there on you're you're right right on a kind of a main street of main Fall River, street, so you yeah. feel like there's always somebody around you. Exactly. So I, I was like, you know what, this is not bad, and it's also right next to a bathroom, and you know, I knew that we were going to be putting a twenty four seven live cam in that room, so it was going to be the only time I could sleep in that room without a camera rolling. The whole time. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to take advantage of this. Uh, room and uh, I had a really um, uneasy um, physical reaction when I was sleeping um, where I woke up just out of a dead sleep because I felt my entire head was like tingling like um, like if somebody put those weird wire head massagers on your head and started you know what I'm talking about those mm -hmm. weird wire things that they just give you like goosebumps and the heebie-jeebies but like so I felt like that, like something was kind of massaging my scalp in a really electrical way, like buzzy. And then as I focused on that sensation, it just kind of grew throughout my entire body. It's like if I was literally being like electrocuted, like the, the sensation of like when you lick a battery, you know, that buzzing that you get on your tongue is like, but all over. And it was really uncomfortable for me to sleep like that. It was just like, I was like, why is my body reacting like this? So I had to like get up and out of the room, kind of walk around a little bit, go back to sleep. And every time I went back into that bed, I got this intense buzzing sensation. I just wasn't really very comfortable to sleep in that room for that reason. But again, it's not like I saw a ghost or it's like shadow figures or thing. It was like a total physical reaction to some sort of electrical current that was like in that room um i mean so that was my first night there i was just like wow that's really bizarre i just didn't sleep very well at the lizzie board and bed and breakfast i mean there is there there's a lot of stuff that's happened uh, over the years there when i've been there but it it usually seems to relate in my mind more to whatever i i call it the dark entity that that lives in the basement but uh, you know it seems to relate more to that i have been there i was there with a local group wailing city ghosts and, and we caught what we thought was lizzie borden's voice 
on an EVP saying, but I'm a good daughter in like a Victorian accent. But other than that, I, I don't think I've really had a lot of experiences with Lizzie Borden herself in that house. And I think it's interesting right. that you mentioned that Maplecroft seemed to be more active because I would think now that people are, you know, it, let's just say Lizzie Borden's ghost is is there and is able to to move from one location to the other. She's probably going to the murder house because that's where people were to 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 want to you know investigate when Maplecroft was a private residence. But she probably didn't really like to be there because of what went on there. And now that they can go and investigate Maplecroft, well, why wouldn't she be in the house that she loves so much and interacting right. with people there? Maplecroft. Uh, so interesting you say that. I did not pick up Lizzie vibes. At all at really? the at the the board in residence, um, but the things that we did pick up like really interesting like um, we weren't using the SB seven ghost box we were using something that JW uh, JW Prather built which is kind of like a it just kind of goes through the white noise specifically and um, it it gave us full-on initials and names of later um, owners from uh, later incarnations of, at that house, the Lizzie Borden residence, because they weren't the last people to live in that house. I mean, you had, you know, a hundred years worth of other people that bought and lived in that house, their lives with their families, other people with, you know, that lived and died there as well. And we started finding that we got a lot of hits from, like, the 20s and 30s, like the 1920s, 1930s families that were living in that, like, you know, their their consciousness or whatever, their spirits were still in that house, were actually more talkative and more active than the Borden, res- the Borden family, um, which I thought was really interesting. Same thing happened over at Maplecroft. But I was picking up, like, it seemed more like a party vibe at Maplecroft. Like, when we were doing an Estes uh, method, uh, I was picking up, you know, people talking about Lizzie's parties and how epic they were. And, like, people talking about the bands that she would have play in her parlor room for her guests. And the types of, um, I guess... uh, she apparently, according to the Estes method that I did, there was some really um, promiscuous women that would come through her parties, mm-hmm. and um, lots. Of, it just seemed like pretty hedonistic, you know. And uh, the life that the lifestyle that it was representing was just kind of like very interesting to me because um, if you know a little bit about the history, you know how when Lizzie Borden moved to Maplecroft. She moved there with her sister, and her sister moved out four years later. You know, even though it's such a beautiful residence, like, she just couldn't stand living with her sister. And I think because they had moral differences, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. Lizzie was a little bit more partier, a little bit more into, like, hanging out with the underdogs and, you know, and... Her sister was a little bit more, Emma was a little bit more frou-frou, a little bit more, you know, Christian with a higher morale in those days. And I think she, that's why she ducked out. And we also got a couple of, like, um, hits on the Estes method where it sounded like Emma speaking about Abby, you know, in a very disgusted way about, like, her sister's life path and lifestyle and all that stuff. 
it's kind of weird because you start getting into family dynamics, you know, when you start picking up these things and you start understanding like sibling relationships and their um, personalities and the differences that they have. And it's so bizarre how you can, through investigations, using things like the SDs method, um, with the proper equipment, you know, you don't want to really do that with like an SB7 or anything, but you get all of these like personalities coming through and even accents, like you said, like a very defined way of hearing people's voices. And when you hear those voices chime in enough, you start kind of building relationships with those energies, you know, and you start kind of building a profile in your mind of like what they used to, their mannerisms and how they talked and their moods and whether they were nice or assholes, you know, like, cause we definitely picked up a lot of really interesting characters at the Maplecroft house. And, um, I enjoyed that house very much. I also enjoyed the Lizzie board and bed and breakfast, but partially I enjoyed the Lizzie board and bed and breakfast because the staff there, you know, I really, really loved, you know, the tour guides and the caretakers, oh, yeah. you know, the morning crew, they were like really cool people. I loved spending time and hanging out with them. When I went to Maplecroft, nobody was there. I mean, I was alone, you know, so that was a whole other experience. Actually, I was there with um, uh, Stacy Brown and Bill Brock who were running cameras for the event. So they were there too. And I, I, they got a little spooked that um, we, after we did the Estes experiment, um, you'd normally we'd all kind of stay on different floors just to kind of give each other our own space and privacy. But that night after we did that investigation at the Maplecroft, we're like, what floor are you staying on? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay at this floor in the front by the busy street with all the lights on because that's like my tactic, you know, just to kind of not sleep in the dark, isolated room. They're like, yeah, that's on the second floor. Yeah, we're going to all sleep on the second floor tonight <laughs> because if anything happens, we're within earshot of each other because um, we definitely got a lot of activity that that very last night when we went to Maplecroft and investigated there it was pretty nuts. So, yeah, I mean, at least there, you know, you're, you're pretty close to the hospital. So it's always, you know, 24-hour yeah. activity uh, happening outside. So you don't have to worry about being too far from you know, civilization, but, uh, so I, I guess you don't want to go halves on Maplecroft then, huh? Oh my God. Are you kidding? Maplecroft <laughs> is like my dream house. Oh yeah. I mean, it's I, so I wish beautiful. If I had the, if I had the means, I would, I would swoop it up in a heartbeat. I mean, it's absolutely stunning and gorgeous. And the decor inside is just, I mean, I love Victorian culture and the aesthetic and, you know, I, I mean, the furnishings alone are just like, gosh, you're so beautiful. I mean, you say, yes, it's close to a hospital, but it's also a stone throws away from the cemetery where all the wardens are buried. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. It's and, like three blocks away. It's equidistant to the cemetery or the hospital. So either which way, it's like, ugh. And, and everybody says to me, they're like, well, you know all those people that are on paranormal TV, don't any of them want to buy Maplecroft? I'm like, of course, they all want to. I don't think you understand how poorly television pays. You know, there's one guy in the yeah, paranormal no, world that could afford to buy that place, and, uh, and, and he, he ain't coming here. So, you know, that's, uh, we, you know, that's what we call it. Like, well, if I had Zach money, I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, Zach, Zach spent a lot of his money buying, uh, I think it was uh, 
um, where one of the Manson murders happened in Los Feliz. I used to live in, uh, down the street from, um, I think it's the Libra, uh, oh my God, La Bianca house mm-hmm. that he bought. And uh, that is a multi-million dollar home. So, I mean, if he, he just purchased that not that long ago. So, to be honest, the fact that Maple Crop popped up now, I mean, I don't know. Zach, you want to buy that? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's it's it's, it's got to take it's got to be the right person to buy it, and it's it's going to be somebody that's going to, you know, love it. And we we had the the um, the realtor on a few weeks ago, and you know, everybody associated with the house still wants to see it carry through and become a bed and breakfast. But it's it's also yeah. it's also a it's a hell of a, a process to try to get that to happen. So chances mm-hmm. are, it probably will be sold to somebody who just wants to live in it and close the doors and not have to have the public come in all the time, which would be a shame. But at the same time, you know, if you spend that much money on a house, you can do whatever you want with it. I mean, it's beautiful, but I also don't think that the neighbors want to see it be, you know, sensationalized, exploited in like this negative way, you know, like um, not to, anything about the Lizzie board in bed and breakfast, but you know, it's, it also doesn't have all these uh, neighbors next to it. The bed and breakfast is right, literally kind of just sitting there. there. It's not a residential area. So just imagine like your front door neighbor, your two side neighbors just having, you know, a, all of their parking taken up because people are going there every day because it's a museum or something. And, I mean, it's just in the middle of a residential area and, a lot of people, I think, are making it difficult, you know, for people to, for them specifically, whoever wants to, to purchase this home and turn it into, like, a historical landmark. Um, because it's tied to Lizzie, they don't want, like, this bad rep to it. But, you know, Lizzie also did a lot of really great things and and, and in her later years, like, after you know, people kind of stopped, started losing the memory of, like, the trial and all this stuff. You know, she was a huge philanthropist. She supported women's rights. She supported animal rights, and she started a shelter, the Fall River Animal Rescue, where she donated the majority of her, you know, money after she died to that Fall River Animal Rescue that's still being, that money is was still being utilized to this day. Yeah to help rescue Fall River animals. Um, so, I mean, those are things I, I stand for, you know? Like, I'm like, I'm all about women's rights and animals, like, you know? So, I mean, I think once she lived down, I mean, she truly never really lived down that reputation, but she did a lot to, like, show who she was to people, you know, and what she really, truly cared for. And, and some people say that's because, you know, she wanted to prove that she really was this nice person and not the murderer everybody thought she was. Other people mm-hmm. say it's because, you know, she had a guilty conscience because of what she did. You know, I don't think we're ever going to know whether or not she did it. Uh, from what I understand, there's only one uh, piece of evidence that has never been brought out to the public and uh, and I believe that was uh, I think it was her inquest testimony, but there's there's one there's one piece of you know one testimony that's locked up in the lawyer's vault in Springfield, and they will eternally keep it locked up because of attorney-client privilege. It carries through even in death, so they won't release oh, wow. what's in that because I've called I've called the law office numerous times <laughs> and asked them if they would, and and they won't. But that's the only missing piece. Other than that, everything is out there. And, and what I've been told from the law office is the stuff that's in there anyway won't make a difference. 
So right. if they if it did, they would release it. So that's that's the thing. Or they would at least you know really they would at least say what's in it. And so that's right. that's the thing is it's it's just going to forever be this great unsolved case. Oh, that's good. It'll perpetuate her memory forever. <laughs> right, rightly or wrongly, I mean it's it, you know she'll always be associated with it. And Fall River, you know they went through a. Uh, an adjustment period with having that be, you know, it's, it's major legacy, but I think now for the most part, the city is, is, you know, willing to accommodate that and willing to let Uh that be part of its legacy. I don't think we're going to see, you know, Lizzie Borden on the, on the police car logos, like you see, witches on the Salem police cars, but at least now they're letting it kind of be their identity. Man, I got to visit Salem. I was so close and I still have yet to go through that town. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've I've been there quite a few times, and I know the local audience is going to kill me for saying this. It's really not that great. I mean, it's cool if you go there and, and experience all the stuff that's there, but it's it's all been kind of shrunk down to one small area that you're just going to go spend an afternoon there and see everything that you need to see because there's yeah. just not so much witch stuff there anymore. But there is some good history. Uh, there's a great place that I investigate that's actually just outside of Salem, but used to be part of the original Salem village called the Parson Barnard House. And yes. he was he was one of the people associated with the witch trials. And just to show you how you can't know history that happened you know, almost 400 years ago, we were at the... You know, we were going there the first couple of years we would go there under the auspices that Reverend Barnard was one of the accusers in the witch trials. And then they found out just in the last few years that he was actually trying to exonerate those who were accused. And so we had to completely change the way that we investigate there. And we got a complete change in the way that we get the activity there. So it's, it, uh-huh. you know, it just goes to show that history, we, we can never really stop learning new things about it. Or, you know, it really dep- it goes to show you that history it's an always 100% fact if it's True. written down, you know? So that's the thing about it, too. History is always written by the winners of that side, you know? And they can write things into existence that were never really true or ever happened. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I find that um, on investigations, if you really go to active places, you will be led down this rabbit hole that kind of starts putting, like, this, the pieces together of the, the, the truth of that scenario, whatever happened in those buildings, you know? Um, because, I mean, when I went to the Lizzie Borden house, I had, I tried not to be so swayed by, I mean, I'd seen some movies about it, I knew the story vaguely. And, of course, everyone takes Lizzie as some, like, monstrous type being, but when I went and interacted with the energies there and had some really interesting things spoken back through spirit boxes and SD's methods, I really started kind of understanding the dynamic of the family a little bit and how they spoke to each other. Um, and that was really interesting because then it kind of brings you into the family. By the time I left after that week of spending it at those two residences, um, I... I felt like I was part of the family, as weird as that sounds. Like, right. I didn't pick up any, I didn't pick up any negativity from the Borden energies, but there is something I think that has been brought into the the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast. There was some sort of like, I mean, I, I get, it's kind of a predatory energy. And um, it's, 
I mean, I kind of feel like that's what came to me the first night that I was staying in Abby Borden's murder room. Um, but at saying that, I don't think that was something that um, was, I think that's something that people brought there, like an accumulation of people's negativity towards the whole case. Like it's a non-human energy. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like when you have enough people going in there and like kind of wanting that like dark history and they come there with these thoughts and processes and conduct their, you know, to be honest, amateur investigations there, you know, projecting all sorts of things that, you know, I don't know, might not be true. Plus, you know, you have a little bit of all that negativity from that awful crime that happened. They kind of like bring this like negative aspect into the home. And I think that's what creates that really weird thing. People say it was in the basement, but like I've spent a lot of time in the basement and um, I didn't really feel anything there. That's where we had set up our DVR system and it was like our command central station, you know, where all of our gear was running down through all of our wires led to the basement. A huge DVR camera was there and all of our like camera equipment just to shoot for the live stream was down there too. And we spent a lot of time down there. And I didn't pick up anything weird. Um, Stacy had mentioned that he saw a full-bodied apparition down there. He thought it was like, you know, Sue Vickery, who's one of the tour guides there, does this like thing where she dresses up as Lizzie Borden for these like mock trials. Mm-hmm. And he saw it like but when he recognized it, it wasn't Sue in costumes. Initially, he thought it was like somebody doing or like, oh, we're shooting mock trials today for the Dark Zone and. I was like, no, like, what do you mean you saw a woman in period dress? Like, there were other people standing around there. Nobody saw this full-bodied apparition except for Stacey Brown. And that night he was like, I don't want to sleep here. <laughs> <laughs> and that, luckily we didn't have to because we were moving to Maplecroft that night. But then it was just like, it wasn't even easier to, <laughs> to sleep at Maplecroft after we did our investigation. I think that whole day spooked our camera guy out because, he saw that full-bodied apparition in the basement. Then we did the Estes experiment at Maplecroft, and everyone was like, you know what? We had enough for the day. Let's uh, stay on the same floor in case some weird shit goes down. <laughs> well, and, and the the good thing about the, the Borden house is, you know, you do get to, even if you're, you're not going to have a paranormal experience there, you get to be at one of these, you know, notoriously famous uh, piece of history, throwback in time kind of places, and and mm-hmm. that's that's something that you get to do again coming up on a Halloween weekend. You get to go and and spend time in what was once the you know the lap of luxury with the Queen Mary. Yeah, I'm really excited. This is actually you know I live in California, so we're finally doing an event in our own backyard, so to speak. <laughs> um, the Queen Mary uh, is right now because of COVID, it's been completely abandoned, so to speak. Um, for the same reasons people don't go on cruise ships is the same reason you can't stay on the Queen Mary. It circulates all of the air through its system, you know, and obviously you don't want to do that with a pandemic going on with COVID and having guests stay with like a, you know, recycled air system. So no one's allowed to even use the Queen Mary as a hotel, which it is. It's a floating hotel now. Not to mention, you know, every October they have a badass, you know, haunt and Halloween, you know, events that they do all month long called um, uh, Queen Mary's Dark Harbor. And it's actually one of my favorite um, haunts that I've ever been to. It's fantastic. 
And I went last year and I had a great time. And this year when I went to scout the Queen Mary, all it's like nothing's there. It's abandoned. There's no cars in the parking lot. There's no one sleeping on board the ship. And it has been completely vacant except for security, you know, on the perimeters and doors locked. It's been vacant. It's been like nobody's in the ship. And I went with, you know, Jay, um, who, you know, is a producer of... Uh, have you ever met Jay Blimke? Not in person, but we, we've spoken on the phone. We and... did that. Yeah. Um, so he and I and uh, our other executive producer, Kathleen, we all went to the ship uh, to meet up with Aiden Sinclair, and he's going to be the host on the Queen Mary this round. I was the host for the Lizzie Borden, um, but Aiden, he's quite the historian, and he does his own like um, series of um, tours on the ship. So he's going to be our host on the Queen Mary. And we have the entire ship to ourselves. You have no idea how eerie that boat is. And when you walk around that massive hunking thing alone, it was absolutely awesome. I'm not going to lie. It was beautiful inside to just kind of really see it. And the way they have it set up is like all of the hotels, uh, all of the rooms have been turned over, like hotel style, but all the doors are open. So it kind of gives you this really eerie feeling that, like, you know, when you're walking down these long hallways in a ship, but every single door is open, it's, oh, it gives you that possibility or feeling that, like, from right. every one of those doorways, that you might see something if you look in that room. As right. you walk past all these rooms, it's absolutely nuts. And... um yeah, so we have full access to that entire ship. No one's on it but us at the dark zone. And uh, we're going to be doing the same thing like we did at the Lizzie Borden house. We're going to be putting up a uh, static cam DVR system that all of the viewers who uh, are you know part of the event um, can watch 24-7. And we've upped it this time um, with better technology and uh viewing capabilities so now you're able to watch a still screen of the dvr while watching us during our investigations or talking to our special guests Um, there's going to be more investigations more paranormal and less because the way we did the lizzie borden is we kind of it was kind of half true crime half paranormal so we did a lot of talking about the true crime history and things like that and started kind of delving into the ins and out of, you know, the family, the history, who they were, how the trials went. This time it's all paranormal for Halloween weekend. Um, and it starts on Thursday before Halloween weekend. So it's Thursday, Friday. Then we have a special Halloween night. And then we end it, our big finale is Dia de los Muertos. And so we're going to be celebrating both on ship. Um, we're going to have um, viewer costume contests. And we're going to have a ton, well, it's in California, so we're going to have a ton of um, paranormal celebrity guests, people that are very much into the paranormal and investigate some faces that you recognize through music, TV, and film. Um, but they're going to be on board the ship with us investigating as well. And we are also turning it into a music festival. So um, in between investigations, um, we have 
bands that will be playing and members of those bands will be coming onto the ship investigating with us as well. So it's, we're trying to make it like an all inclusive Halloween event that's paranormal with music. And um, yeah, we've locked down some pretty badass bands. Like I can't even like begin to tell you how stoked I am. Um, I will be hosting the music aspect of this whole event. So Although Aiden Sinclair is going to be your historical expert that's on board the ship, I will be on board the ship too, but I'm going to be kind of working with Jay in in the control room. Um, And then working, like hosting um, our musicians um, through the investigation um, portion of the event as well. And, and when I say these musicians, we're not just throwing them in like they don't know what they're doing. Um, I've had, I've investigated with these people before, and I know that they're into the paranormal. These are people that have reached out to me in the past because of what I do, and it just kind of created an opportunity where I was like, hey, we should definitely make this a Halloween party. It's Halloween weekend. Um, one of the first things that, I mean, so a little side note, aside from the paranormal, which people know me for, I moonlight as uh, booker and I work in music and I have my own music festival called Slaughterhouse. So I work a lot with musicians and with bands. That's actually what my, I guess you could say day job is, <laughs> although it's mostly nocturnal, just like investigating. But, um, but yeah, so I, I booked all the bands for this event and I know that these members from these bands investigate the paranormal, you know, uh, and a lot of people are like, how does that work out? Like, how do you have bands on the Queen Mary? And then, you know, what does that have to do with the paranormal? And I'm like, well, members of these bands are actually paranormal investigators as well. And I've done research with them and we've investigated places together, you know? So I love being able to kind of show on a whole other aspect to musicians that you know and love. Um, and and throw them into a situation that a lot of paranormal people don't know that, hey, wow, okay, this person is also a paranormal enthusiast. Not only that, is a member of a team. Not only that, is also an investigator. You know what I mean? um, We're going to be showcasing all of that. I'm really excited. And we have a bunch of paranormal people from television that you know and love. So we have members from the new incarnation of Ghost Hunters. We've got some of my colleagues from Paranormal Caught on Camera coming on. Um, we have, uh, oh my gosh, so many people. We, I want to. I'm like looking right now at the faces on the flyer because I'm visually like understanding. So we also have Jay Verberg from Ghost Mind, like all the original people from all the sci-fi shows, even travel channel shows, mm-hmm. pretty much. Um, we even have members from ghost adventures coming on. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited because the idea with the dark zone, um, is we, you know, are all about paranormal unity and we embrace different methods and tactics and different teams from different networks even. You know, that's the great thing about being on the dark zone is that we're not, like, affiliated with television and networks, that we're able to work with people on network television. Because, for instance, like, I'm on Travel Channel. If I did a Travel Channel event, I could only work with Travel Channel people, you know? 
and then I won't be able to work with like people, you know, on discovery or I won't be able to work with people on, you know, kindred, who, where is ghost nation? A&E, A&E you know what I mean? mm -hmm. So it's like being on the dark zone is we're kind of this like neutral territory where we're allowed to work with everyone, you know what I mean? So we get to have all these guests from all these shows, you know, because I know there's some Halloween things going on on different networks, but you're only watching one show at that point. And we wanted to have something that's going to blow literally every single paranormal event out of the water for Halloween weekend. So we're like, all right, let's uh, lock down one of the largest locations you can <laughs> investigate, um, the Queen Mary, one of the most haunted ships. Um, and not only that, make it like a badass music festival and have, you know, all of these people, you know, from all of the programs that you watch on television be part of this event. So essentially the only people that are not part of our event are the people like that have things going on their networks already. So, and trust me, we reached out to all of them too. They're all invited, you know, they all know what we're doing and they're, I'm sure they're going to pop in around what they're doing anyway, especially with, you know, stuff going on all the time for all the, you know, for all, uh, all the days that it's happening. Why, you know, you're just going to have people popping in left and right. And I I was seeing that even a little bit when I did the one hour with you guys in the Lizzie Boyden house, you know, you never know who's going to show up in the chat because everybody's watching this. It's such a, it's such a, uh, uh, a unique event that everybody wants to check out and see what's going on. Yeah, I do love that we have such camaraderie in the field and we're very much recognized for that in the paranormal. And so everybody works with us. We work with everybody. I mean, you know, uh, and and we just, I mean, I love that about the Dark Zone. And, and you know, Jay and I, who the founders of the Dark Zone um, initially were myself, Kristen Lumen, Jay Berberg, and Patrick Doyle. Those guys were from Ghost Mine. Carl Pfeiffer from Academy, Ghost Hunters Academy with me. And then uh, um, Dave Schrader, you know, um, who's now the Holder Files. And and, and initially it was Amy Bruni and Adam Berry. But um, so we were the original Dark Zoners. Um, Amy Bruni and Adam Barry cut some flack when they got on Kindred Spirits um, because they didn't know that they couldn't have an independent platform, you yeah. know, because we are not a television platform. But I think, um, you know, they had some issues, so they had to bow out of the Dark Zone. But they were still, you know, founders of the Dark Zone. So we, I have to give them credit, you know. And we love Amy and Adam. Oh, yeah. Same, um, same here. So, um, so we were the original founders. And of course, you know, Adam was also a, a, a Ghost Hunters Academy alumni, too, along with me and Carl. You see how, like, all in the family it right. is? And he yeah, was yeah. part of Ghost Hunters. Like, it, we were a crew, you know, and we're all sci fi. So I guess that's kind of how we started. Um, but then, you know, after Amy and Adam had dropped off, we kind of just kind of kept the crew the same. Um, and, you know, we started making our own content and that's how the dark zone started. Cause the idea was to kind of be like the Netflix of paranormal. And so it's all online platform, but we are also on Roku and Apple TV. So if you want to be 
part of the Dark Zone event on Halloween. You could do it through Roku and Apple TV, or you could do it straight from the website, which is um, www.thedarkzone.tv, and you'll have all access to the Queen Mary the entire week, four days, um, four-day weekend, <laughs> I guess you Some, could say. It definitely and, is... Um, what was that? I was going to say it definitely is going to be you know something that you want to set set aside that time on your calendar because you're not going to want to turn away from what's going on. Yeah, and let's say, and this is another thing too. I know, like, if you're a paranormal fan and you want to watch like Zach Bagans, you know, investigate Tiger King's um, zoo or whatever for Halloween. You know, you want to do that. You set your DVR system to that. But the great thing about the dark zone is that you can you know, be part of the event. And let's say you watch your one hour special with Zach Bagans. You know what? Dark Zone's 24 seven. So once you're done with that programming, you can hop right on board the Queen Mary. You know what I mean? Which is what we love. It's like, you don't have to compromise what you want to do for Halloween. The Dark Zone's always going to be there. And if you miss anything that you, you want to go back on, you can actually rewind um, the DVR systems from your home. Oh, wow. You can rewatch the band sets. Like, so the way our platform is set up now is so that anybody at any time, if you are part of the live event from the Dark Zone, you can go back in throughout the four days and rewatch things, rewatch band sets, rewatch investigations, or your favorite guests. And, um, you know, I think that's what's really cool about it, too, is that we're very flexible and it's interactive. That's another thing. Like, we talk to you while, we're, while you're watching us. We're watching your chat. We are interacting with you. We are, you know, using suggestions. Um, so that was the thing I didn't get to do last time at Lizzie Borden, which is why I'm in the control room for the Queen Mary is because as a host, you know, I'm there with an earpiece listening to the control room and talking to guests, and I have to be present for the guests in the investigation. I'm not there on the chat room, you know, reading, you know, what people have to say and their inputs and things like that. So a lot of the time I was missing out on things that our viewers were seeing and a lot of their input. Now I'm going to spend more of my time in the control room interacting with our guests and kind of conveying, you know, the things that they're seeing to the investigators on ship, which I'm excited to be a little bit more interactive with the fans because I felt like I didn't really get the chance to meet people on our chat rooms. You know, I wasn't until after the fact that I got to like meet um, whole groups that had been, you know, created because of the dark zone, like the seance room or other members you know, like online, you know, interacting and kind of letting us know, hey, we saw something on the DVR system or, oh, there was a light anomaly or, you know, things like that because people are seeing things in real time happen and I might not be in a room to catch it and I'm kind of in the headspace of an investigation or hosting and I could be having an interview with you and Jay, but something that's go something's going on on the third floor at the Borden residence, you know what I mean? Yeah. We had to kind of like reformat a little bit, especially on a ship, which we're going to have even more cameras up. So I'm definitely going to be part of the control room. I will be getting in on investigations here and there. Um, but my 
roll with the dark zone on the Queen Mary for Halloween weekend is your buffer for all the musicians. And I'll be interviewing all the bands and talking to them about how they got into the paranormal and how they got into investigating the paranormal and their personal experiences with phenomena. And then we're going to have them play their sets. And then we bring them onto the Queen Mary ship and put them in on investigation, which I'm super excited about. I, I can't wait for the Halloween weekend. Uh, and of course, if everybody wants to get their tickets, they can do so by going to the darkzone.tv. And I shared out a link, a direct link on the Spooky South Coast uh, and my personal social media uh, to try and make it a little bit easier for people to get over there. And we'll keep telling people about it uh, both here and on uh, on the Midnight Society program during the week. Susan, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, and hopefully, oh, thank you. You know, hopefully we'll be talking again in the future. I hope so, too. And thank you so much for having me on and letting me ramble about all this Dark Zone stuff. Oh, anytime. It's it's so unique <laughs> and it's so much fun, and I'm glad to be part of it. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. All right. Take care. Have a great night. Thank you. You, too. And everybody out there, we are out of time. We actually, we went a little bit over time. That's all right. We can do that. And uh, we, I just want to let everybody know before we say goodnight, uh, I didn't mention at the top of the show, and I should have, but... So excited about a new website that has launched through Town Square Media. It is called Ultimate Unexplained, and it's at ultimateunexplained.com. It is now your go-to spot for all the paranormal news and stories each and every day. And if you go there now, you can find a lot of even local South Coast stories that we put up there because, of course, the South Coast is spooky. So we've added some stories there. It covers all different aspects of the paranormal and true crime. So if you go to ultimateunexplained.com, you go there, you'll see a little um, um, menu at the top uh, covering things like ghosts and hauntings, UFOs and aliens, Bigfoot cryptids, mysteries, legends, and true crime, as well as some paranormal pop culture stuff. It's all right there at ultimateunexplained.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at Ultimate Unexplained on Facebook, and you can also find us at... um, uh, let's see. I, I don't want to give you the direct wrong information, but if you go to ultimateunexplained.com, you can get our Twitter and our Instagram right there as well. And we've been sharing a lot of fun memes and we've got all of the stories coming out. So uh, that's the place to go through this entire month to get all your paranormal news and information. Ultimateunexplained.com. I'll be uh, overseeing the paranormal side of things there, so you can expect a lot of spooky South Coast-style stories there. All right, that will do it for tonight's show. Until next time, I want everybody out there to stay spooktacular.